Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. I'm Tom Povia, joined by Kyle Bunch. In an uneventful week, considering the last few months that we've had, you know, nothing big and crazy to talk about happening in Texas or anywhere else right now. So, Kyle, how's how's it going? Yeah, yeah, it feels, you know, after after blizzards and other stuff, it feels remarkably kind of low key. I'm uh, gearing up to take a uh, with vaccinated parents out in California now. I'm gearing up to take a American Southwest trek, take the family the nice 20 hour drive from Austin out to Southern California to, to see family or have my kids see family for the first time in 18 months or however long it's been. So uh, yeah, that's that's about it. It's it's kind of nice. I mean, obviously, biggest thing happening is just now the onslaught of one year later think pieces that are uh, virtually limitless that sort of even at the start of the week I saw you know, some new, I think New York Times had their like the three days that changed sports forever. And we're going to, you know, I think have a nice, nice stream of those over the next few days. And, but hopefully, you know, on the heels of it, maybe, maybe this trend line of people getting vaccinated and being able to kind of go back out in the world continues and shaping up for a nice spring and summer. So. Cool. Yeah, actually, I just read yesterday there was, I think it was Sportico or one of those uh, sports businessy type things was talking about the NBA All Star Game ratings, but kind of tying it back to coming up on the anniversary of uh, what was his name? Uh, that was Rudy Gobert. What's that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We were coming up, we're coming up on that anniversary, but you know, talking about the what's gone on since then in terms of TV and media, uh, you know in relation to the sport uh speaking of which uh we're going back to chicago uh we, we say we like to we have a lot of friends out that way um but this is good because we talk a lot about chicago and we we talk a lot about the athletic and we're joined by one of the guys that's been there from the beginning and been there pretty much from the beginning of blogs with balls uh, shortly thereafter we began john greenberg editor-in-chief of the athletic chicago thanks for joining us john hey thanks for having me guys good to see you i wish we were at a a conference outside Wrigley Field, but here we are on Zoom. <laughs> soon enough, soon enough. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I always love that we uh, we were doing it at Wrigley Field and we had the head of comms for the White Sox uh, right. that, that was on the panel at that time. But, uh, John, how's, how's the sports scene out there? I, I heard you say earlier that the kids are back in school. Things are loosening up a bit. Um, you know, from a, a professional perspective, what's going on with the, uh, with the games out that way? Well, it was just um, this week. You know, no Chicago teams have brought back fans and the Cubs and the Sox are going to be the first. They just announced that on Monday. You know, we kind of knew it was coming. You know, they, they had asked for 30 percent. They got 20 percent approved. And, you know, so that was my last two days because I do a lot of sports business stuff um, has really just been writing a couple stories and, and doing a lot of conversations with people about how they're going to do it and just I always find like the little details funny, you know, like I asked the, the president of the Cubs about the troughs in the men's room, if they were the famous Wrigley troughs, if they, those are coming back and they are, um, you know, I write a lot about beer vendors. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank yeah. God. <laughs> they're, putting, they're putting partitions in, which like, Hey, maybe this is like, that's one of the things that like the pandemic uh, revolutionizes. Because it spreads through your urine, not through your breathing and, over but, top of these partitions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the partitions, yeah, the partitions are head, head size. Oh, okay. Okay. Head good. Wise, not, not down low. Thank you. And this is where Costanza, the, the uh, floor to ceiling uh, <laughs> dividers take. take, take. <laughs> so, you know, we're just talking to the Cubs and the White Sox about how they're, they're bringing fans back. And, you know, they a lot of optimism about, you know, how quickly those numbers will jump up from 20 percent to 30 percent. So, you know, that's really the big news in Chicago right now. There's 
and everything. And the quarterback situation, the bears, which is perennial news. And like, that was the idea I had at the end of the winter or maybe the end of the season was to do this big history of bears quarterback series, you know, where we just, we, we did a lot of features and lists and quizzes. Um, it's a cult hit for the athletic because a lot of people <laughs> like it, but I've noticed a lot of people aren't reading them as much as we thought, because a lot of the comments are like, this is great. I hate you. <laughs> Why are you doing this to us? Who the hell is this guy? But we had a lot of fun with it. Like that's ending like this week. And we started in uh, the beginning of February. Where did, where did it begin? Are you going chronologically with these guys? I kind of did chronologically. We had a few people that couldn't do like stories that came in a little later. Um, so, you know, we just threw those in, but yeah, I started with Sid Luckman and I talked to Sid Luckman's son, who's, you know, it's like 78 years old or whatever. And he was telling me he still goes to games and, you know, he still hears people talking about his dad who retired in 1950, you know, and just kind of the legend of Sid Luckman, like lording over this franchise still, cause they're so bad. And then we we just, um, we just published another Jay Cutler story. Um, what if <laughs> smoking Jay, <laughs> smoking Jay, another what if on Jay? I think our most popular story actually of this whole thing we just ran last week was about um, Kevin Fishbane, one of our Bears writers, talked to a bunch of Jay's backups about what it was really like to be with him and like what he's like, and you know, just the atmosphere of being a Bears quarterback and how much like, pressure you know was kind of put on him. And that was that was, I think, the story people have liked the most, which is kind of interesting. Uh, go, going back to talking about the, uh, you know, the, the increase in fans at the live events. Um, yeah, something I hear a lot is people are saying, oh, people are going to can't wait to get out of their house and can't wait to go back. Do you think that's accurate from what you're hearing more from the fan base? And, and for me, it seems like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But I can also imagine people being very hesitant to jump back into it. Do you think people are going to embrace uh, being able to go back to these games? Yeah, I do. But I do think there will be some people, you know, I don't think every season ticket holder is going to take the opportunity because they get first crack. I don't think every season ticket holder is going to take the opportunity to go. And the Cubs and Sox have both said they're really interested to see that. But, you know, the White Sox said by judging by their early reaction to it, the phone calls they've taken, yeah, fans are really excited. You know, and the White Sox are kind of an interesting situation. They usually are, you know, far second in attendance, right? You know, could the Cubs have a tourist attraction? White Sox haven't been good lately, but last year they were. They finally, the rebuild worked and fans are really hungry for this team to see this team in person. So I do think when the White Sox open up their park, they're going to have a lot of, you know, they're going to have a lot of interest. The funny thing is Sox fans are mad. They can't tailgate. You know, you hear that. Like they're one of the few baseball teams that actually has a tailgate culture, kind of like the Brewers. I don't Billies. know. Billies, do Billies have one. Oh yeah. 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 It makes sense where the, where the park is. Um, yeah. So they, fans are like really excited to go there and kind of get drunk. So that'll be interesting to see like fan behavior, you know, and like mask behavior. I know one of our writers um, who lives in Texas covered, you know, the LCS and, and the world series there. And he said, he's, you know, this is Texas too, and parts of Texas, but he said there were fans, you know, with like half empty water bottles, they weren't drinking, walking around without masks saying, oh, actively drinking, you know, whenever someone would try to say something to them. So I, I don't think we'll have that problem in Chicago, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I wonder, I just actually very timely, I saw the latest morning consult 
poll on sort of who wants to go back, which has been really interesting. You know, as a news organization, they've been polling since the start of this and it's been all over the map. I mean, there was a stretch that was like, oh, until the whole world is vaccinated, I won't dream of going back in a stadium. And then two months later, like I would lick a subway pole to get back (laughs) into a stadium right now, you know, and just all over. But what's what seems to be bubbling up and we'll see how it plays out is that, you know, younger people who have a greater sense of immortality or more will- saying they're more willing to go just go out to events in general. Now, we we know at the same time that younger fans often are the ones that maybe care less about going to a baseball game by comparison yeah. to an older fan. And, you know, there's there's kind of the uh, like, I don't, you know, when they're at 20, 30 percent, I don't think anybody's worried about putting the butts in those seats. Right. That That's not a huge number of tickets. But it'd be interesting if we will. I don't know. Is there does there start to be sort of a renaissance with some of the sports with younger fans who are the ones? Hey, I'm I'm down to get out and you know do it or whatever. I, I it'd be interesting to see how it plays out, especially in a place like Chicago. I was gonna, so I, I give you a chance to respond to that, but I, I'm curious even more about what it's been like on the ground in you know arguably the greatest sports city in the country without people being able to get out to games and all. Right, like last year I went to you know I went and took in a game at a rooftop because the rooftops were open. You know, they were opened at limited capacity. Um, I don't know how much they're fudging that, but, you know, and the Cubs own most of the rooftops now. You know, that's been a big change in the last 10 years. They bought most of them up after uh, they fought them with law. They banged, you know, they emptied their pockets with lawsuits. Um, then they, they bought them up. And, you know, they were pretty good. I mean, it wasn't like crazy crowds, but they were pretty busy. And, you know, people have been going to bars. I think people are still pretty careful. But the fact, you know, it's outdoors. You know, they're going to be really safe. You know, the Cubs said, like, for instance, the Cubs have sectioned off like 20 zones in Wrigley. They're calling them neighborhoods. And like, you can only go in your area. I don't know how they're policing this, but like, you know, they basically said every zone will have a a restroom, you know, concessions, a place to buy merch and whatever. And that's it. You can't go anywhere else. And you have an entry, timed entry, time, you know, I don't know about timed exit, but you have a timed entry and a set gate. So I think with all this stuff, I think people will get more comfortable. And I think even older people, especially now that, you know, a lot of older people are vaccinated. So I do think you'll find people going more. The secondary markets can be nuts. Yeah, I I definitely. I mean, I think already I know, you know, some of the teams that were even before it was sure whether or not they were going to be able to have people in, we're just doing some secondary market and kind of experiments with, you know, what could we what if we put a small allotment out there? And, you know, I think it's. It's interesting, young or old, I mean, uh, the psychological experiment we're about to all go through of, you know, it's dramatic depending on what your experience was through this to call it a near-death experience. But there is an aspect of like, we all just faced mortality in, sure. in different ways, in ways, you know, uh, just on a scale never before experienced. And it, it'll be interesting. You know, I, I'm curious if everybody is more excited to go out to games, is if everybody just the how it all plays out, you, you know, right. and, and Chicago is a great place to see that experiment, you know, firsthand. That's a great point. I mean, just, you know, the idea of just getting out of your house and just, you know, being with people again. And I, I think Chicago has been, been decent about it, you know, of, of following the rules. And, you know, there's been a lot of fights, obviously with restaurants and getting people open. You know, I live in the suburbs now. I used to live in like really bustling part of the city until a few years ago. So, you know, we've been out and about like in my neighborhood, people walk around. It's not like people have been like, you know, cloistered in their house. I will say one thing that's probably spurring on optimism right now is we just had like a hellish blizzard, you know, I mean, not like to the the effect of Texas with, you know, the preparation and all the problems, but, you know, we had like 
three feet of snow in like, you know, two weeks. So I do think the fact that it's been sunny for a week is like really kind of getting people gassed up for this. Yeah. You had a, you had a real blizzard versus the, you know, I mean, our relatively small, the snow to damage part for us was, was definitely right. a different ratio. Just clearly seeing how unprepared uh, I, I was, I was actually texting a lot of friends in, in Chicago area to be like, what do I, is this a real thing to leave your outdoor pipes on a drip? I've, I've never, I don't know what that, this is far more extreme, but yeah, similarly for us here, it's, it's uh, you know, I mean, Austin's different from the rest of Texas, but you know, when Abbott made his pronouncement of opening up, there was part of him was like, how much does this change? You know, we were like with us, with a huge outdoor culture, yeah, you've been seeing people in restaurants for pretty much since May or June of last year, you know? So it's, you know, I think it's, I just lose sight of sometimes I'm sure we all do that. Like in our little, no pun intended bubbles that it's really unique case by case. Um, and yeah, so. So let's flip over to the, uh, the professional bubble a little bit. Uh, John, you mentioned covering a lot of sports biz. Uh, I would have to imagine that of all the beats to have during the last 18 months, uh, that seems pretty, some pretty good job security for you. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, I've written a lot of these stories about people losing their jobs, you know, and that was keep and that like, it was sad to see like, not sad, but like to see how popular the story, like people reading those stories. And like, I was really trying to humanize it. You know, when people lost their jobs in sports radio, talking to them about it, talking about their career paths, you know, people have lost their jobs in TV. That was a big part of it. And then, yeah. you know, also with this kind of stuff, like last year, last summer, I did a story about this company called social um, it's called 3d digital venues or mobile media content, I think. Um, and they do like seat modeling. And I, just from a conversation I had with a friend at the Cubs, he told me they were using them. So I, I reached out to them and we talked about how they, they created something called social distancing manager, you know, and they're one of the companies that, that basically does seating manifest for teams trying to keep people socially distant. And this guy showed me how it works and how you make sure there's six feet of distance and how you measure distance from uh, the head and like how many seats you need in between people at most ballparks and he was going over like all the specifications that every stadium has of distance. It's really interesting. So yeah, some of that stuff too. And then, you know, the TV things, you know, how teams were like last baseball season, how they're broadcasting remotely and how that works. So yeah, there's a lot yeah. going on. Yeah. When we talked to Maggie Hendricks, I mean, she had talked about going from beat writer with WNBA and then shuts down, right? She had covered Olympics for years and the Olympics in 2020 got canceled. Um, you know, putting on, forget the writer role, putting on your, your editor role. Um, have you had to make those tough decisions uh, with the athletic um, because of the situation you were handed last year in terms of staffing? Yeah. I mean, that stuff goes beyond, that's kind of above my head. Like I didn't have to make this staffing decisions, but um, yeah, they, yeah. I mean, that was like, that was the saddest day of the athletic is when, you know, we had, we let a lot of people go, a lot of really good people. I was, you know, really surprised to see, hear some of these names. And, you know, that was, that was a tough, that was a tough week. And I didn't lose anyone. You know, we didn't lose any staffers. Uh, Maggie had been writing sky for us and she still did during this, you know, during the bubble, just not as much, but you know, I didn't lose anyone, but I was like really broken up about it. Um, and they were too. My bosses were, everyone was just, it really stinks. Um, you know, that, but that, that was the kind of the reality everyone was facing. Do you feel, I mean, and obviously it's early to, to gauge and a lot of it depends on what we were discussing before of how are people going to take back sports, but is what's the feeling as far as 
the, the comeback and how it impacts the business and ability to staff back up or bring some of those people back or, or others, you know, I feel like the history of the athletic is picking up a lot of great talent as other parts of the industry shifted, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I was really skeptical during this, during last spring and summer, I was like really down about it. And, you know, I know we got, my boss was, was a little more optimistic. My boss, Adam Hansman, and we seen, I talk a lot and, you know, cause they were seeing what, when the, when premier league came back, they started to see those numbers really spike again because we were really, you know, we were really busy early on. We had all these blitzes, you know, movies, like every kind of nonsense type thing, you know, you do it, you do uh, memory lane stuff. And then, you know, they could see it when the premier league came back that, that the interest would still be there. I was really worried about that. I don't, you know, maybe I had a short view, but I was just like, you know, how is consumer behavior? There's points where things change forever. And, you know, I was really worried this was part of it. And then once we saw baseball come back, we started to see it, you know, and football and we started to see the fan interest come back and, and the interest in nostalgia start to wane a little bit. So, yeah, I, I hope, you know, it does bring staffing back. I, I do think, you know, there were probably some, you know, I can't say this cause I wasn't making the decisions, but you know, sometimes these things give you an opportunity to reevaluate some of your business as callous as that sounds. You know, and I think there probably are some markets and some teams with the athletic, they wanted, they wanted to cover everything immediately, fully staffed. And I think they realized some markets and some teams just don't, I don't want to say warrant that kind of coverage because they do warrant that kind of coverage, but we can see the numbers, you know, we're not guessing, like you can see what people are interested in, what they're willing to pay for. And some markets are just not as great as others. And like, we had really good writers in these markets that Frank, that, you know, deserve better and they did their best work and it just you know, I just don't know if it was always worth the investment. We've, like you said, we've zigged and zagged so much. Like we can talk about this, like just, you know, when we started this, we did not know that like ESPN, SI, all these people are going to have layoffs that and Fox sports that would change the trajectory of this company. And there's two things that kind of pop into mind. One is the news about the Huffington Post and the BuzzFeed, right? Axing right. all all their writers, right? And one thing that they talked about was the restructuring to get back to profitability, which is essentially what you're saying, right? These markets don't warrant that initial investment, and you have to, you know, reevaluate the uh, the model itself. Um, yeah. And then I forgot the other second thing because uh, I got caught up on that, but I saw Kyle was ready to jump in. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I, I kind of building in probably some of that. I mean, as you guys are going through this evolution, there's that part, you know, in, in the business you're in of covering at the local level, figuring out the markets that yeah. where there's probably even opportunity to double down and go further. Others where you maybe, you know, back out for now, which I could imagine some of that can even change just a market where suddenly the football team gets good. Yeah. You know, and suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we would like to talk about them more because it's not an unpleasant experience every time I read <laughs> the coverage of them. Um, obviously, that'll kind of continue to ebb and flow a bit as, as the sports markets continue to change. But I know you guys have gone through evolution in terms of writing and layering in more podcasting as, as that's become such a big part of how people follow sports. I mean, what else are you guys looking at that things you can can talk about or at least tip your cap to as far as other areas that you're excited about as this sort of media mix and the business you guys are in changes? Well, like, you know, early uh, a couple of years ago, we actually tried um, long form video. Um, it did not catch on. It They're really well done. Um, like I was in charge. I actually pitched one about uh, Wrigley Field beer vendors and we made this really great uh, video of it. It was awesome. 
Um, and it was cool to see how it works, like a really big production. These guys, it's like Armin Katayan's team from 60 Minutes, like all these other freelance producers. It was great. Um, but that just didn't catch on. It wasn't worth the money. And they jumped out pretty quick. So I think podcast is, you know, like, every, like not reinventing the wheel here. Podcast is, you know, we're doing a podcast right now. This is like, you know, the real market people are investing in. So I think that'll be continuing to be investment. Um, they have done some videos with TIFO. Um, the international soccer people. I think that's a big investment. Our international soccer is going to continue to expand. I would guess to other countries. I know that's been talked about. I think that's where you're going to see just a ton of expansion. You know, we've, we've got the States pretty, you know, we've pretty much figured things out in, in here in, in, in Canada of what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, some things will expand and there's going to be opportunities for young writers in certain markets um, to continue to expand. But, you know, I, I really think international is where, in soccer, especially, is is really where you're going to see the big expansion. How's um, how's sports betting impacting what you guys have been doing? Well, that's that? a good point too. The I should mention. Yeah, um, yeah. They just you know we just launched that vertical, so I mean it, it's pretty kind of a soft launch. It hasn't been like a huge thing, but yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, they have a part. We have a partnership with MGM, um, BetMGM. You know, everyone's got these partnerships, and yeah, that's a big part. Like just telling people how to bet, and then you know we're still going to cover the industry, the business side, but like. You know, it's funny because I grew up in a in a small town in Ohio, like on the West Virginia border, and, and basically illegal gambling was really big there. It was like semi-legal. Like you could actually go to bookie joints in high school. Um, they were like fake cigar stores. <laughs> Some are real cigar stores, but they were like really like storefronts. And so, you know, you would have this like these pads of paper with like a carbon paper underneath to make copies. And we were into gambling that way. Kind of dating so, yourself now too, man. I'm Carp- very dating myself. This is the late '90s, <laughs> mid, mid to late '90s. Um, so you know, well, you, you, you know, if you really want to succeed in this space, you just got to throw Darren Ravel tens of thousands, uh, tens of millions of dollars, and then, yeah, just throw Ravel just, money because he's the guy I think of for sports gambling. He was like <laughs> Northwestern. My buddy, actually, one of my good friends, lived with him uh, their junior year at Northwestern. Um, nice. Nice. And there was actually another guy I know that lived there that that actually was really in sports gambling and got in a lot of trouble, but um, <laughs> it wasn't Ravel. I'll say that he's collecting baseball cards. Right. Well, this this kind of goes back uh, to I remember what I was going to ask, and and it kind of segues nicely. Is as this these games come back, right? You're in a crowded major market, as as Kyle said, probably you know one of the the best sports market in the world. As these things come back, and you're competing with the ESPNs, and you're competing with uh you know nbc local and comcast etc um and then even talking about the two different things that that you spoke about uh podcasting and gambling it seems like those are things that everyone is just throwing into and that was like my big argument over this past year is everybody's like we need to do digital we need to do this content 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 and there's so much thrown out so now you know how do you stand out um you know as the athletic um you know in these different markets like starting a new podcast i would think unless you have like a distribution channel or right. a partner like a spotify or radio.com uh, you're kind of starting behind the eight ball how do you really make yeah. traction uh in these platforms yeah i don't the podcast one's interesting because you know right like we're not going to be doing um you know like the barstool numbers right like with podcasts or espn espn's finally put so much money into their podcast so i i think it's really just having a network of them and they, they've actually been pretty good about canceling ones that don't work. Like I was, I, I filled in for the White Sox one when Tom Fernelli um, like left because they were kind of canceling. They were kind of changing the way they did stuff. 
And like, it wasn't attracting a ton of listeners. They just stopped doing it. <laughs> you know, they, so I think they are a little more small kind of, you know, local ones don't do the numbers that these big ones do, but we have our no dunks guys, you know, who you, you guys worked with and know. Um, so I think some of those ones will continue to do well, but you're right. And I think for gambling and things like that, you know, the athletics whole thing has just been like longer, more in-depth stories, you know, we're not rushing things out there. We're not just throwing stuff up, but you know, we are more focused now on SEO. If you look at the athletic, you see like more of a breaking news thing where we, something happens, we have a kind of a quick hitter takes with people, but we do, you know, those are still done. Well, it's not just throwing like a few sentences out from a press release. Like we're not republishing press releases. So, you know, I think that's kind of been how the athletic stands out is just doing good work. There's no ads clogging it up. And, you know, you just hope things work out. And I will say one really good thing about my, like my, our company and my bosses is like, they know what works and they know what doesn't. They give stuff enough time and enough leash to work. And, you know, after a year, you know, it's not working, then you kind of, you, you rethink things. So I think we've been, we've managed to stay nimble despite like a really lot, a lot of people were employing. And then on the back end, I guess, I mean, how much support, right? So if, Tom's got his White Sox podcast, right? Like how much is he responsible for these individual, you know, the podcasters responsible for, you know, those numbers, you know, what kind of support on the back end was, you know, was the company giving? Yeah, that's it. That's a good point. I mean, I think a lot of it just promote would however much you can promote and however much your personal brand is attractive to people. Um, they did all the work, like they did all the editing, all the scheduling, you know, things like that. Like everything was done. By right. So was it costing you guys anything to the fact that no. like, let's, well, then, then why, why cancel it? I guess. I, I think it was just because they have a producer working on it. So I think it was okay. more about that person's hours, you know, that right. person's schedule. And like, is it worth more for this person to focus on something else? I think that that was really the case. Okay. So more like reshifting the resources. Like, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, no, yeah. hundred percent. So I, I think they're, you know, we're obsessed with numbers in a lot of ways. And that's, you know, we've tried to recalibrate that a little bit sometimes because it can be detrimental, but in the same sense, like this is what it's about. Like we, we should know what people are reading. We should want to know like if stuff's working or not. And like, everything doesn't have to work. Like you can write a really good story that not a lot of people read, but if it's still a good story, like I, you know, I talk to the main guy, Adam Hansman all the time and he'll, you know, kind of laugh at me when I get mad at like low numbers for a good story. And he's, you know, he's quick to remind me it's still a good story, right? You're still doing the right thing. So keep up, keep it up. So, I'm, Oh, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, and this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but just curious, you know, I think sports can be now more than ever, I think so broad, right. And, and there's mm -hmm. the sort of surrounding, whether it's cultural, societal, conversations about things that really, you know, athlete perspectives on, on issues like right. politics, a couple others though, that are, you know, even more, you know, come to mind that I've seen other competitors and media outlets push harder into and curious to get your thoughts on. And they would be, first would be the general kind of esports area where, you know, some have gone all in on that. Some are you clearly sort of experimenting with that as part of a content mix. The other would be this sort of not purely the collectible space as it relates to NBA Top Shot, although I feel like everything these days is NBA Top Shot, but you've got cards, you've got sneakers, you've got this large growing collectible set that is a lot of sports related collectible. So just curious when you, as some of these things become so big, 
How do you guys think about some of those? Is there a, is there a strong sort of this is what we're about and those things fall outside of it? Is it more of this kind of experimentation model and and you know looking through the lens of kind of two of those as, as examples? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, we did just launch a culture vertical, um, and you know to really house some of these stories. One of our MBA editors, Khalid Salam, is, is in charge of it, and you know it's you know there you know there is a lot of stuff like shoes. Shoes, people are really interested in. People love talking about the shoe market. You know, uh, we've had some NBA Top Shot stories, you know, which I think is really interesting. You know, they, they did one the other day where a bunch of writers, and this made me feel really old, but they did like their top 50 Drake songs. Like, I don't have a top one Drake song, right? Like, if it was top 50, like, Tribe Called Quest songs, you know, or you know, De, La, De La Soul songs, I could do that. But like, you know, I felt old, but, you know, we're doing music stuff like that. Um, you know, collectibles will be interesting. You know, you saw the ringer just did one cause they, cause Bill Simmons has a deal with golden auctions, but um, they just did a, a collectibles one. I think that is definitely something to watch for Esports, I'm skeptical. People want to, people like playing esports. I'm skeptical. People really want to read a lot about it. You know, and I think ESPN showed that that's really not the case. And, you know, one of our main editors, Dan Kaufman, one of the people in charge, he was quoted, I think in that Washington post story, one of the, someone did a big story about, ESPN's like dalliance with esports because he was in charge. So I would say he's probably a pretty good gauge of if it worked or not. And I haven't heard much about it. So I'm guessing it doesn't, uh, you know, besides uh, Myers Leonard's foray into esports, which, uh, not that successful for us. Uh, yeah, although it was it was your it was your guy's pull quote uh, image that was making the rounds with him in the uh, the glasses and the the headset. That, uh, it was just you know chef's kiss emoji perfection. Um, uh, you know, adding a, li- a little bit of levity to an otherwise yes. uh, you know un- totally unfortunate incident that was making the rounds. Um, related, uh, you know, you kind of hit on this a little bit, but you know, you guys have had some I think big wins in terms of developing or signing young talent as you know just writing and and content creators and you know we have one of our early episodes had um you know jr jackson from jr sports brief on and he was talking about his own sort of maturation and building kind of his own brand but curious how you approach that sort of you know there's there's some great writers out there building their own name on in social and other places there's some that are clearly diamonds in the rough that that come in and get a little bit of polish working with people you know more seasoned um how do you guys find great talent and develop great talent from a from a creator standpoint that's a good point they've really put a focus on that uh recently with like putting more hires into the editor situation editor like mark Carrig moved from writing about baseball and now he's kind of going to be one of the people in charge of like developing talent you know, awesome. I think a lot of it was just through networks and, you know, trying to hire that was, we were really trying to build like a more diverse base, you know, with a lot of our younger writers, which has been cool to see some of these people, Josh Tolentino's of the world really take off. Um, you know, for me, when I started, I mean, I hired people that were actually my age, but like Saad of Sharma was a freelancer and he was working at baseball prospectus, like the cub, they had a special Cubs blog, you know, and I hired him and he was a big name in, in the Cubs and he's really, kind of expanded his, his role and, and, you know, in the Cubs sphere, um, James Fegan, who, who sort of recommended from baseball perspective was another blogger, you know, who wrote about the white Sox from a blogging point of view. He was like a TV person in, in South Bend or Elkhart actually. And um, he's really expanded his roles at least like a formal reporter with the white Sox. For me, it was just having these people, you know, you know what you like, right. You know what you're interested in. And it was just getting them to, to kind of combine that with, um, you know, a more traditional 
you know, role of interviewing people. That was for James, especially, you know, being in a clubhouse for the first time. And he just really took to it. And for me, it was just editing, you know, accordingly editing it to make it a little more formal, a little less like bloggy, a little less, you know, a little tighter at times. Um, I think for a lot of the younger writers, it's teaching them how to, you know, cultivate sources now, how to really do things on a big level, how to write these big stories, how to organize big stories and really formalize it. You know, I'm proud that we've been able to really, um, you know, assimilate a lot of these people and just kind of create this athletic voice, which is, you know, it's different in places and it's growing, but, you know, I, I think that's a really big focus is getting more, you know, more diversity in there, whether it's age, whether it's, it's race, you know, women, I mean, you know, just trying to get up, get a really more diverse cast in here. So Don, Don knows it's, you know, an episode can't go by without me name dropping Substack. So we'll, we'll go ahead and tick. Here we go. We've reached the 40 minute mark and I'm, but it's, you know, it's, it's struck me watching. I feel like when you guys, you know, had especially the kind of run of raising capital, hiring a lot of these, you know, a, a lot, basically a lot of writers who now today, if, if you weren't there would probably be jumping and starting their own sub stacks, right? Like that, that all of those guys, when there was these, you know, mass firings and exoduses from different major media outlets, you know, a few years ago and you guys were there, you know, how do you look at that newsletter subscription trend where writers are, you know, can go to the athletic and have a, a paycheck as part of being part of a you know paid product or go try to go it alone. And, and I'm curious what some of those conversations and how you guys are, are thinking about that and your role in a world where that's now a, a force in, in writing. And yeah. Right. I mean, I think, you know, and I hope we do get, we, you know, I know there's a plan to really expand our newsletter offerings. We did it early, like early subscribers. We used to write these little newsletter columns every day with like the top five stories. I, kind of miss them and kind of hated them because we had to get them out so early. But um, as far as that as a business, you know, I think what obviously differentiates us is, is the back channel stuff and, and the editors. And we have a ton of editors now, you know, just a lot of support. You're working with teammates. I mean, it's just completely different than working on your own. And I think a lot of people working on their own are just because some of these people you've seen are people that really don't want to be edited. Right. They, you know, they, they, you know, think they know the best. And in some cases, maybe it's true. In some cases, it's great because they're really exploring stuff that they think is important. Sometimes I think, you know, you they've managed Substack and it's managed to attract the really long-winded, uh, you know, pontificators of the world, which I don't know if we need more of those, to be honest. But, you know, our the one thing that's amazing about The Athletic is if you need anyone's number, like you should see some of these Slack conversations. And some of them are outrageous. Like people will be like, hey, anyone got Michael Jordan's cell? And some of them are just more like, the most random ass baseball players. It's like David Roth's like dream. Some of these numbers, you know, people are just exchanging in there. Like the most random play. Hey, has anyone got, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think of a good name. I'll say Lance Johnson because I actually, I didn't ask for his number because I got it off Lexus Nexus, but I did, I did just call Lance Johnson one dog um, and play for the White Sox and Mets. It's that kind of stuff. Like to have that support just with the other writers is crazy. Like we really might have every person's number in sports or email. That's, that's, uh, that's, yeah. I, th these are kind of the things that I, I oftentimes as everybody talks about this sort of Substack independence that I think get glossed over sometimes of, you know, those other, those little intang intangible or kind of mm -hmm. tangible, small, but really important details, which access is something, you know, when we were getting started in the blogs with balls conversation, that was front and center, all of these guys who yeah. 
had had talent, but no, you know, nowhere near the credentialed world and getting close to the athletes over that time. Obviously, that's changed for for, uh, you know, in a lot of different places, a lot of different ways. But the part that's really interesting to me is the nature, it seems from the outside of, of access as it relates to players and teams and some of that sort of sometimes favor doing that maybe happens of like reports that get put out where it's oh. like, okay, that's clearly somebody's agent just basically handed yeah. you something or, or, but, but, and I don't want to, the yeah. changing I'm not, nature no, I'm not of a accessing big, your business. I'm curious to that, get, you know, your perspective. That stuff's necessary when you're a national writer. Like we all know it. I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. A lot of ways. I think some people, you know, I think a lot of people do a decent job of it. I think everyone at the athletic does a decent job of it. I will say someone like Ken Rosendahl does a great job of it. I've worked with Ken on a lot of stuff. That's, I mean, Ken coming to us, Fox Sports stopping the, the, the writing for no reason because, you know, dumb. Um, that was, you know, probably the biggest change in our company is getting Ken because he is just amazing. He's so great to work with. I can't even tell you guys. No ego. He's so helpful. He's If he knows something about the Cubs or Sox, he's texting our writers right away. He's not tweeting it, you know, immediately unless he has to. Um, he's just awesome to work with as a reporter because he'll tell the agents like what he thinks. He doesn't cow. He doesn't cower to teams, right. Or his sources. He, you know, I mean, he has to dance sometimes and <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a delicate dance sometimes with some of these people, depending on their uh, um, personalities, but he, he's awesome to work with. So the access stuff is, yeah, I think we're, we're pretty good about it. I think I don't, I mean, I see some, you know, some obvious favor stuff, but I think we're pretty good about just telling the truth. I mean, we've told some pretty harsh truths in some of our stories. I mean, look at Katie Strang and, you know, some of the stuff she's done and, you know, our beat writers too of, you know, and we've taken some heat for it here and there. You know, I will say access to bring something up real quick from the beginning. You know, when we started, Scott Powers and I still had our full season passes for the Bulls and the Blackhawks for ESPN. ESPN had just, our ESPN jobs had ended in, in the fall of 15. And so we still had the credentials that season. Teams weren't letting us use them. They were not letting us use them. And I literally had teams in the year 2016 tell me we don't credential online outlets, even though they knew me. And they're still saying this. I'm like, what do you mean you don't credential online out? Like, like one, you do. And, 20, like, and this is 2016 too. Yes. It was four crazy. years ago. And I spent so much, <laughs> right, I spent, I spent so much time being mad about this and being feeling like disrespected when I should have just said like, screw them. Um, but yeah, it was, that was tough. Like we didn't, at the beginning, we couldn't go to any games. Like it took at that end of that season, they finally let us, but they would not let Scott and I go to games. And Scott really learned as covering the Blackhawks really learned how to, you know, he started getting going to the AHL games. He really started to, it kind of freed him up a little more, you know, and I could go to practices for the Bulls, but not the games. It was like really dumb. What were they possibly worried about or afraid of like what was the like harm? a fan blo- like they're still worried about the blog they're still worried about like fan blogs right but again given your guys right. reputation and history it's, you know you're the same guy that was credentialed you yeah. know at espn right i just think you know i mean listen i'm fine we're all fine with it now and it's water under the bridge i just think you know maybe they weren't the most like intuitive people about the state of media and also, like, to be honest, some of the people that were still, they were like people that were grandfathered in that weren't even journalists anymore. They were just coming there to hang out. <laughs> like, eat the food was, in the press box. <laughs> yeah, you could, one guy's a jeweler. I don't even know what he's doing there. Um, it really weird. But yeah, so it all worked out in the end. Um, but yeah, just people were just not, some people just weren't aware. Now for baseball, it's interesting because if you have a baseball writer's card, if you work for an outlet, everyone gets to be, you know, that outlet is credentialed. 
And so we hired Sahadev and he had his writer's card. I was annoyed because I could have had one media ESPN and I just didn't push it. But that helped us. That spurred us on. And baseball, I will say this, the Cubs were the one team that was immediately welcoming to this idea. And they were like totally for it. They, they understood it. So they were the one team in town that really got it early. Got it. Um, speaking about getting it, um, go on the website. They're asking me for a buck, right? <laughs> the, the, the paywall. Uh, I, I had a joke. I said, it's, it, it felt like the, you know, feed a journalist for, you know, a dollar kind of deal. Um, but, but then also talking about what, what you discussed about the focus on the long form and the quality, right? So your target reader, your target audience to me would seem to skew on the older side. Um, one, you know, right. Ones that are willing to pay, even if it's a dollar, cause these kids today just expect everything for free. Um, but also, you know, the attention span, I hate to like stereotype, but you know, it seems like, you know, somebody that's going to dive into these types of articles might start skewing on the older side. So, you know, how do you, how do you grow that fan base given those two things? Yeah, I, I mean, wait for people to age up, I guess. I know. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's funny when, when we started that, I was skeptical, like, are we really going to get a lot of people to pay? You know, I mean, yeah, people pay for the New York Times and the Washington Post. And it was tough. It was really tough to grow subscriptions when you have three full-time writers. You know, that's all we had for a while, really that first year. So that's really tough to do. Um, tougher, you know, we probably should have, I wish we'd had more funding in the beginning. But yeah, it's... Um, I think, you know, if people are interested, they're interested, you know, and I think, I think maybe some of the foray into like shoes and things like that, you know, can do it. But I, I think regionally, like we, we talk so much about how young fans don't like baseball, right. For instance, or they don't like, they can't, and they do, they can't, they're having trouble watching sports. I get it. Everyone does. But I think regionally, you know, you can attract more people. Like there are young fans that are interested in the Cubs and interested in the White Sox and the Bears. And I think if you, you know, if you build those relationships with young fans, like we've had really good success, I think, with college students. You know, I remember the first year we did it, a high school kid coming up to me at the game asking if I could like give him like a free pass because he doesn't have a credit card. And I oh, gave nice. him like a kind of a dummy account we were giving to teams. So just just because of that. So I think you can introduce young fans. I think it's really I think college age would probably be our target. Does that go back to the the talent side that you talked about, about finding not only good writers, but again, those five tool players that, you know, can also, you know, build their own brand as, as we discussed earlier. So from the contributors and the diversifying the contributors generationally, um, you know, do you think that's a, a way to attract those college age kids? Absolutely. Especially if they can speak their language and, and, you know, they're talking about things they, they like and they're, they're making cultural references that they get, um, you know, I always joke, like, it's funny when you see writers, writers I love that are still making cultural references from like the seventies. Like, you gotta, <laughs> eventually you got to bury those, um, you know, without getting too cute about it, you know, and too in the now, but like, yeah, I think so for sure. I think, you know, and you have people doing stuff on Twitter. I don't know if young people are still on Twitter, but you know, or we're building our Instagram. I'm sure we're building TikTok. We have a, a pretty cool social media team that, that has started uh, we've really added some people that get it a little more than like people like me would get it. So yeah, I think that's gotta be the next thing, right. Is finding out where the social channels are and how we can monetize those social channels, not just like, you know, waste our time on them, 
you know, with, so. wait, wait, now they're going to be, what was it? Twitter with the uh, super tweets. Now the athletics going to be asking us to pay to read their tweets, huh? Right, right, right. <laughs> no, I don't think we're going to be doing that. Uh, <laughs> All right, good. I meant monetizing it and like getting people to eventually subscribe. I gotcha. I gotcha. Not, not doing that. Uh, John, go back to blogs of balls. These we joke that they're all fuzzy. Um, yeah. so you're definitely at Wrigley Field. Were you at the other Chicago show? Yes, I was. Okay, uh, that was an interesting one too. That was a great place. I like that place. It was right down the street from where I lived. Was that uh, uh, was that the Chop House or something? Chop or? House. Yeah. Well, there's, there was that one, and then the year after was this like wedding venue that was pretty cool too. Yeah, the Chop oh, House yeah. was the Chop House was in the back of the meat market. There was like yeah. a stage that was cool. Was cool. I like that. That was a cool room. No, and then <laughs> next year I wasn't on the panels or anything, but I stopped by. Yeah, and I think I stopped by because I was trying to do a feature on. Uh, so it was our first year, sixteen. I was trying to do a feature on uh, Big Cat, which didn't end up happening, but. I went by yeah. just to say hi to him and to say hi to you guys. Yeah, him and and I remember you and I think Ed Holm was in the back, kind of popped in. Uh, well, mm-hmm. no, Eric was on a thing, but yeah, I remember a couple guys popping in too. Um, again, as the guy that was denied uh, credentials for being a, a blogger in 2016, um, you know, from the community, we always talk about the community. Like, you know, what have you seen? You mentioned guys like Big Cat that was you know really a regional guy, I guess. I mean, he had a national footprint, but you know, really a Chicago guy. Um, you know, the evolution of the, I guess, the online community as much as the the media community. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Dan, he's, you know, he right, he was regional. I mean, he was big, you know, he had his barstool community nationally, but he was still a regional guy when we did that, and that was in 15. And I remember talking to him, he was, and he was getting shit on the stage, obviously, for barstool stuff. And, 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 and you know, I know in one case, especially, I really, you know, he didn't deserve it personally, but like through connections, he did. Um, and he still wasn't sure what he was going to do. Barstool was not like, it was big, but it wasn't anything close to what it is now. I mean, I think he would have taken another job if he would have got offered it, you know, or at least would have been interested in it, you know, before he's now a millionaire or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I'm trying to think about like the early bloggers. Chicago was a good blogging community, but it wasn't like, I don't think it's where like a lot of the stars of the blogging community were located. That's, you know, so much more East Coast centric, you know, New York centric. So I think I would was, say New York, you had that DC contingent, but DC contingent, I, you right. know, I don't think, I don't think Chicago was too far behind. No. I mean, who are the big, blo- I mean, you know, you had K and stuff, people working for Yahoo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yahoo. Yahoo, <laughs> right. Maggie, you know, it was a lot of the, ya- a lot of Yahoo people were here. Yeah, Sarah, I guess. Um, Jimmy Greenfield was, what was he doing? Uh, they were the, they, yeah. They were like Tribune. Chicago now or something, right? Yeah. And that was yeah. owned by the Tribune. That was like, the Tribune trying to get into blogging and that they did make some stars out of it. I mean, Sarah Spain, you know, kind of got her start through that, you know, she was building her name, um, you know, and obviously she exploded, but you know, she was also associated with the <laughs> she like, really got big. You know, she was, she was in my phone still as uh, mouthpiece sports, right. Which was <laughs> Chicago. Like that's when she did the first blogs of balls, she was part of mouthpiece sports. So. That was, that was something. I remember mouthpiece sports. It's kind of like, <laughs> Um, I don't. <laughs> it was weird. It was. It was. I don't think they knew what they were doing. Um, but yeah. So yeah, you're right. Mouthpiece sports guy. That's funny. So yeah, Chicago definitely had its own. But it was Chicago is such an old school media town too. And I really feel like people dropped the ball. And like, I almost wish like you know to start like a Chicago style Deadspin that would have been a little better. You know, I mean, better than like the ones that people tried to do here. Because um, I know a few people that tried that and didn't work. Could that have been? Could that have been Dan Katz? <laughs> Well, I mean, I get like I think he had one to devolve to like um, 
kind of audition for, for Barstool. It's really an interesting story. I'd still would like to do it with him, like a story on him. I just write about Barstool so tough, you know, dealing with the, the feedback and the interaction yeah. and really hand and like, and also handling it well. Like, I don't want to read, I don't want to read a story just ripping them for ripping them without like thinking about the media landscape. Right. I also don't want to read a story where people are just kissing, kissing up to them. So they can get like their fan. You know what I mean? I think they're really, I mean, that's a great point. Like how do you, as a journalist, how are you not able to objectively write and you can objectively write about it. Right. But then to, it's one of the biggest media companies in the world um, doing a ton of different things. So for better or for worse to it's a story. And and why can't people accept the fact that you, you could be able to tell this story objectively without getting shit for it and having to, you know, right. turn off your notifications for right. glorifying I think, something. I remember Jay Caspian Kang did a really did a pretty good one for New York times magazine. That was probably the best one that really focused on all the sides and really, you know, I, I thought handled it well. Um, I've always said, and I've, I've thought about doing it, is, is it would make a really good book, like a business style media book writing about them from like, and like, like I said, taking on everything, like the bad stuff, the good stuff, the everything in between and just, it's a, it's a story. A story about the growth of that company is pretty incredible. Like they're, they're going to launch uh, gambling. They're launching their Barstool Sportsbook in Illinois. Um, I think tomorrow this we're taping on a Wednesday, though, Thursday. So that'll be interesting to see how, are you covering it? I mean, yeah, I'm kind of trying to figure out like <laughs> not to tell not to get shit on for doing so. Right. Like I'm kind of trying to figure out what the angle of that is. Right. My angle isn't like, Ooh, these guys have, you know, cornered the market. Cause that's not true. Like, you know, you don't want to puff them up too much, puff up what they're doing too much, but I, I would be interested to see what the numbers are. That's what I would kind of want to do. I would like to talk to them to see like what signups are like, you know, after a week or two and see like what kind of foothold they re- they're really going to have here. I think it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be good. I mean, Dan Katz is, you know, millions of followers. <laughs> I think that should help. Yeah. I, I, I want to go back to that. I'm wearing my, my Teddy Roosevelt, um, my, my bull moose shirt here. Cause I'm reading a book about him cleaning up the vice in New York city. And, and I think my biggest, um, you know, I love him, but the biggest thing that I have is this sort of puritanical view that he takes of everything. It's like black and white, good versus evil. Right. Um, yeah. The, the, the blue laws on Sundays, like, you know, God forbid. Um, but again, going back to social media, going back to the journalist community, um, everyone seems to put a stake in the ground and everybody needs to have an opinion. How do you feel about that? You know, I, I would say with social media, everybody having a point of view as opposed to just being able to report news. I mean, as a guy that studied it, you know, went to journalism school, you know, came up through the ranks. Um, is that good or bad? You know, it's unavoidable now. So, I mean, I just think the way Twitter is designed has made it unavoidable. People feel like they have to share their opinions on everything. I think you've also seen, you, you know, you can notice. A lot of Which people. is fine, but vilifying like that black and white where I was going with the Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. stuff. Like, Everyone, there's a, a gray on. area that people don't want to recognize. Right. And it's like, there's such a pile on culture. And I just don't know how you avoid it. You know, maybe man, turning off manual retweets <laughs> would, would be probably the biggest one. Because I think that's been the worst part. The dunking culture. You know, uh, I'm sure I've done it. You know, I know I've done it, but I try to like really not do it as much. I think the problem with the way people, everyone wants to have a voice, right? And I don't think a lot of people have that outlet. Even some journalists have the outlet to have the voice they want. 
And so Twitter has become that outlet for every thought, everything that makes them angry. You know, I think people have seen, rightfully so, I, I think this is there. I would have to ask people if this fuels them, but they've seen how people become stars on Twitter by sharing their opinions and by sharing strong opinions, not weak opinion, right? Not sharing like even-handed opinions, but like people really having smart, and some people can do it really well, can have really smart opinions and can talk about almost anything. And a lot of people, you know, do it less well. <laughs> a lot of people, they can do it, but maybe it's not, maybe it's not as interesting. I, I do think you've seen a lot of people maybe that were more active on Twitter be less active. And, you know, I think people have just kind of, I think a lot of people are really tired of it. Like you see a lot of people now that you follow, like don't tweet on the weekends, right? And people have stopped doing it. And I think it's, it's really exhausting. You know, I've written about people that lost their, there's a sports radio host, right? In town, um, longtime guys had issues here and there. And he tweeted just this really dumb tweet about Maria Taylor and he got fired for it. And he got fired by Intercom. They're not like some, like, you know, whatever. They got fired because they wanted to fire him. But, you know, and I wrote in that story and I talked about my journalism class I teach, you know, Twitter rewards you and pushes you to have these opinions. And it'll also punish you so quickly. Like you're, you're basically told to like put half form thoughts out there, right? Like they want their sports radio host tweet. They want them to interact. And I think, you know, you can really get punished for that. Same time. Twitter's been around for more than 10 years. You should be able to have, if you're a journalist and you communicate for a living, have your, be able to have a filter. Like you should have a filter. You should be able to hold back. Well, this is yeah. why you need to hire editors in, in addition to your writers, right? Maybe yeah. they don't. I think I'm lucky that I, you know, I really started Twitter when I worked for ESPN. Yeah. And, you know, and when I got to the athletic, not that I, I don't really have like very strong, like mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, opinions about stuff like that. I mind my own business, but you know, when I started the athletic, I was, I changed my Twitter voice because I used to be combative with fans and make fun of fans and like argue with people. And I was like, these are all future customers. So like, <laughs> right. I'm well, I mean, you, you know, you talk about being punished, but to your point, like you have to, you know, with these dwindling opportunities, right. You need to stand out and, and have a voice yeah. and, and, you know, for these jobs. So it's pure, pure capitalism and self, uh, perseverance. Yeah. I, I do. So as I've been watching it within, less the sports world than just a lot of my sort of technology thought leadership VC world that I, a lot of the people I follow, you know, one of the things that I wonder what the impact of something, some of the emerging platforms like a clubhouse might be on some of this. And I can't tell where I'm, it's a small sample set, but there's moments where what would have been some long tweet storm thread seemingly is just migrating to somewhere where somebody can talk for an hour and, you know, there's a part of me that hopes maybe we'll be able to separate out things that maybe just aren't are better off not in Twitter, where where some of those things can be said in in a format that more closely mirrors a, you know, hour long talk radio block, uh, you know, remains to be seen. But yeah, right. There's always someone watching. But like, you know, but for instance, like I brought up with this this case of this guy, Dan McNeil, you know, this happened on like a, a Monday, I think. And that Friday, I was driving to Ohio to see my mom, and I was listening to him on the radio, and he was talking about empathy, and it was the Skip Bayless, Dak Prescott story. And Dan, this person had suffered from depression, has been very open about it, and got really even more open about his family problems with depression. And it was this great sports talk radio, and if he would have tweeted about this, he would have been a hero. But he didn't. It was on sports radio at 5 o'clock on a Friday. No one heard it but me. 
And, you know, I kind of use that in my story about his firing to kind of tie things together of like, yeah, you say someone on sports radio, you know, unless someone's listening and tweeting about it and it blows up, it's forgotten. You say something on Twitter, like you're, you're stuck, dude. <laughs> like don't do it. Don't, and don't, uh, right. Or in your Twitch stream, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Don't try to erase it. Cause it ain't going nowhere. Right. It doesn't really matter. But John, great catching up with you. I know we're pushing up on an hour, uh, as we yeah. say at the end of every episode, we'd love to keep going. So maybe at some point we'll, we'll reconnect, but really appreciate your, your point of view and, um, yeah, not just where things have been, but where things currently are, I think as, as much as anything, forget where they're going. We're, we're still trying to figure out where we're at right now. No. And thanks for you guys for everything. I was so excited to do that first blog with balls. You know, I was really young in my career, still not young, but young in my career and really trying to push my name up. And I just felt that it was so cool to be involved in that. And then the second time you did it, I was like, right before I knew it, like I just lost one job and I was, it was a weird time for me. So it was a really good thing to be back kind of doing that with you guys. So I appreciate it. The no, definitely love hearing that because again, kind of, I don't want to say we were flying blind, but you know, we kind of were, we, we kind of step back, let the thing just happen on its own. But like, again, now 10 years later, since we first started doing these, whether it's, you know, Valet, who was running her own NASCAR blog to, you know, Patrick in the marketing space, everyone just seems to have a positive, uh, you know, reflection on, but particularly when it comes to, you know, one personal relationships, but then to professional relationships. So it seems to have really helped out and, and we're more thankful to, you know, been a part of it more than anything. I, I just remember real quick. I remember that, that uh, panel I was on and it was like, uh, what's the guy for Vox? Uh, the big, the, the big bank off. Yeah. Bank off was arguing. It was with the local, the, was it the localization of sports? I think. Yeah. It was, okay. it was bank off arguing with the uh, bleacher report guy. Nemitz, right? Yeah. Nemitz. Right. And they just like dominated arguing with each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think was Enrico on that one. Uh, yes. I became good friends with him after that. Like, good, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That was, God, those names. But all right, going back to what we talked about, about taking things off of Twitter, that was part of our mantra from the beginning. It's like, forget arguing in 140 characters. Like, let's put Bleacher Report and SB Nation up together and let them have at it. Yeah. That, and it was like, I was at one point, I'm like, all right. I, I do remember like laughing a little like a week later because Bankoff like was very secretive about something they were doing and it was their SB Nation local stuff. Local, yeah. And it, they announced it in the Times like you know a few days later because it was obviously embargoed. And that was just like a huge failure in Chicago. So I just kind of chuckled because he he handled it completely. He handled the launch of that in Chicago like as, as poorly as you could do it, and it was <laughs> like a non-entity in the city, but he thought it was like this big deal. The biggest but they thing. ended up getting, they ended up actually doing, hiring some people, a uh, guy, Ricky O'Donnell, who's still there. So mm-hmm. they ended up, you know, making some positive moves with it at least. Nice. Well, we can go back and watch them. Cause as we discovered last week, we were looking for valet's uh, panel. Justin TV had sponsored and live streamed our stuff, which got purchased by Twitch. So when I happen to put something in the Google machine, I see all the full panels are now available on Twitch from, from that Blogs of Balls 3 in 2010. Uh, so yeah, we, we might have to go and revisit those, uh, those arguments there. That's funny. Yeah, you can find, if you can find the one from the second Chicago one with Big Cat, that'd be, that would probably do both the numbers. Somewhere it's somewhere we got to yeah, find them. Exactly, <laughs> we'll, find, we'll find it on some streaming platform or something somewhere. Right. All, All right, right. Thanks, guys. Well, John, where can we find you on Twitter? We'll go uh, harass John, you on there. <laughs> yeah, John underscore Greenberg, J O N. Um, yeah, that's it. That's pretty much my only, my only outlet. If you, you got it. On LinkedIn, you can. 
<laughs> there you go. I, I did last week. I didn't realize we weren't connected until we well, were. Honest. Yeah, not to extend this, but that's really how my Adam Hansman contacted me to start the company. I still have the original LinkedIn message. I think it's right. the only LinkedIn message that's ever like been important in my life. <laughs> I like the happy birthday on LinkedIn things that I get every year from people that, you know, <laughs> want yeah. to sell me financial services. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next week, I am Don Povey. That's Kyle Bunch. Thanks this week to our guest, John Greenberg with The Athletic. Until next week, we'll see you later.